This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNXRadio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. Here to talk about the coronavirus pandemic. We first saw this scary inflammation among children who were infected with the virus. Now those same symptoms are starting to show up among adults. Hard to track down, so we will talk about it. And time is running out before states have to set up coronavirus vaccine distribution centers by November 1st. This is directed by the Centers for Disease Control. Now, that's a lot of pressure on state governments. Can they pull it off? First Halloween, now Thanksgiving, some of the holidays canceled for a lot of people across the country. They can't risk it, you know, getting infected with the virus. One mental health expert recommends we get creative, not allowing the pandemic to get in the way of still catching up with family. Plus, mask up or pay up. More cities say they are getting tough on people choosing not to wear a mask in public by issuing citations. But in reality, enforcing the mask rule is no easy task. And still no signs of a breakthrough for a second stimulus package. It's hurting small cities and towns across the country. Even if we get new relief, it may be too late. Let's first begin with a rare and scary complication of COVID-19. We saw some children infected with coronavirus, who are experiencing troubling inflammation symptoms. Now there are reports that those same symptoms are presenting in some adult COVID patients. Dr. Nicholas Hendren, fellow in cardiology, internal medicine, University of Texas, Southwestern Medical Center. Virus is complex. It is surprising. Is this just another new manifestation? You know, I think it's definitely something that has been underappreciated for adults. So, um, for example, for kids, as you were saying, with this MICS syndrome, one of the defining definitions of it was you had to be less than 21 years old. And and that really never made sense to us that there would be such a strict cutoff. And certainly where, where this has played out for in this syndrome in adults is that we're seeing this happen in adults that are 20, 30, 40 years old. And so um, as we started looking at kids, now we've also started to increase our attention to adults as well. What does it look like? What does it feel like? And what usually tips you off that this is happening? A great question. So just like in kids, what we typically see is people are having fevers, chills, um, they're feeling short of breath, and they look like they're in heart failure, which is the classic syndrome in kids. And when we look for evidence of inflammation in the heart by doing some blood tests and looking at something called troponin, we see that there's inflammation and damage to the heart in the setting of new heart failure with this COVID diagnosis. And so that all fits together very nicely for this MISA, as they're calling it now, for adults. Now, does this uh, happen, this array of symptoms in the acute stage when somebody is feeling kind of under the weather, they get tested, comes up positive, they go, oh, I know I've got COVID, and then these symptoms manifest themselves? Or are these things that, that happen somewhere down the line? Great question. So in children, it's mostly been observed this happens somewhere in the four to 12-week period after they get the virus. Um, In adults, it's a little less clear, although I will say that I think both are possible, and we've seen evidence of both possibly. Now, the CDC released this most recent update really implying that this particular syndrome uh, applies 
for people who have had the virus and it's happening four to, again, 12 weeks after they've been exposed to the virus. And uh, that's where that new heart failure is, is coming into play. So you could be testing negative and not think to look uh, that this is a cause. And is that part of the problem when you go to the doctor and say something's going on and they say, well, it's not coronavirus, so we'll have to figure it out. That's exactly one of the challenges that's been happening is people are presenting with heart failure and perhaps fevers. They're testing negative with the PCR, the nasal swab, uh, but they have IgG antibodies. And I'm sure you guys have talked about that as well, where your body has already built an immune response to COVID. And part of that immune response may be responsible for some of this inflammation in the heart and uh, this disease syndrome that we're seeing. Now, we, we have been told when it comes to children with this syndrome that uh, the vast majority of them do not die. Uh, is that the same with adults? So I think that there's still a lot to be learned in adults. I will say that of the seven or eight cases that I have been uh, aware of in our in our hospitals in Dallas, at our two hospitals in Dallas, uh, most of them survived. And anecdotal reports from other hospitals as well report using steroids and and ways to help uh, help these young men survive, young women survive the hospitalization. And results have been encouraging, but there's still a lot to be learned so far. Dr. Nicholas Hendren, fellow in cardiology, internal medicine, University of Texas, Southwestern Medical Center. Doctor, thanks. All 50 states across the country now have two weeks to set up distribution centers for coronavirus vaccines. It's not just a large empty warehouse state governments need to set up, not to mention we don't have a vaccine yet. Depending on what kind of vaccine it is, these vaccine distribution centers need to be set up right so they can cater to different temperatures and dosage requirements. So can state governments pull it off and set up sufficient and safe vaccine distribution centers by the 1st of November? WBBM's Rob Hart spoke with Michelle Cortez, health reporter for Bloomberg News in Minneapolis. This is simply a case of making sure all the infrastructure is in place uh, once the FDA gives the green light to one of the many vaccines uh, in phase three trials as part of this Operation Warp Speed. The states are all required to tell the CDC how they're going to start distributing the vaccine by today. And then that distribution is supposed to be ready to start going on November 1st. Of course, Rob, the complicating factor here is that we don't know which vaccine we're talking about. And the vaccines are very different from each other. Some of them need to be frozen and not just frozen, but frozen at 94 degrees Fahrenheit below zero. So tear you like way frozen others just need to be refrigerated some need to be given twice so you have to have a a method where you know who's getting the vaccine some of them have to get a second one within three weeks some need that second one within four weeks so all of these processes have to be in place it is a little bit of a disaster now pfizer said this morning that or or recently that there they could potentially Uh, get an emergency use uh, authorization as early as the end of next month. Uh, Is is that kind of on the optimistic scale of, uh, of, of, of the vaccine schedule? There's actually a little bit of a of an underground movement of what's going here. President Trump has been calling for a vaccine to come before the election. So obviously that's November 3rd. That is just two weeks away. So that has been the issue, whether or not Pfizer would be able to get an emergency use authorization before the election. Pfizer said, the CEO said, that they will know whether or not their vaccine works before the election. And a lot of people took that to mean that we could potentially get there, that there 
could maybe be the Pfizer vaccine before that time. What happened today was Pfizer came out with a letter that said they won't have safety data until the end of November. So they might know if it works or not before the election, but they won't know whether it's safe or not, and even just for a small period of time until the end of November. So actually, it's a little bit of a push back rather than a push up of the timing of the vaccine. Still, if they do show that it works before the election, President Trump would be able to you know, claim that Certainly, the federal government's investment in this vaccination race has propelled it much more quickly than any other vaccine we've ever had, just maybe not getting over the line before the election. Well, we made it this far, so uh, what's a couple of more months between friends? Thanks for joining us, Michelle Cortez, health reporter, Bloomberg News. The fact that your traditional Thanksgiving and the other holidays this year may be canceled this year because of the pandemic is a classic good news, bad news scenario. If you were already feeling lonely, the thought of spending the holidays away from loved ones is undoubtedly bad news. But if you were dreading having to deal with your family, then it's... It's a built-in excuse. Dr. Kathleen Smith, licensed therapist, author of the book, Everything Isn't Terrible. So what do you think people should do, especially if they were looking forward to seeing the family? Maybe this is the only time of year, the holidays, that you actually get to visit with somebody. Yeah, well, I think first the temptation is to just not talk about it with your family and hope they don't notice if you don't show up, right? (laughs) And so I think uh, communication is definitely key. You know, be honest about what you're willing to do, what you're comfortable with, what your thinking is, and be prepared that people might not always agree with it and that that's okay, I think is the the first thing to remember. (laughs) Okay, but but that may take care of how you sort of communicate with your family. But but now what happens, you find yourself at home, Uh, whether it's Thanksgiving, Christmas, whatever, and you got no place you can go. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think what happens at the holidays a lot is we see maybe lots of family and we interact with lots of people and that option isn't available to us. And, you know, I encourage my therapy clients to think about one or two family members or close friends Uh, you know, those relationships that you want to focus on. Can you spend time talking to those people, catching up with them, learning about their lives, sharing what your challenges have been this year? Because I think at the holidays, we miss that one-to-one connection. We're just overwhelmed with everybody, uh, right? So this year could be an important time to kind of focus on those relationships that have been put on the back burner. And I think that can help sort of ward off some of this uh, mental health funk that people are experiencing. What about for people who say that like Zoom and FaceTime, they just don't cut it. it? It's nice and you can see them and it's way better than what we used to have, but it's just not quite there and it doesn't make you feel the same. Yeah, you know, I encourage people to get creative. You know, are there people in your neighborhood you can see from a distance? You know, do you want to send long emails to people telling them stories about your life or lots of Christmas cards or whatever? You know, I think to just get creative and and recognize that there are so many ways to communicate other than just being there in person or Zooming. Do not forget that those are options as well. You know, I I wonder if, uh, you know how at some sporting events they're now putting cardboard cutouts of people? Maybe we should do that and sit them around the table. That's a wonderful idea. And then it would be the first Thanksgiving where everyone agreed with you about everything, right? <laughs> yeah, you can you can have whatever political discussion you'd like to it. have I and say any, anyone in the table dissents and then crickets. Um, doctor, what, what are you going to do for the holidays, if we may ask? And I guess it all comes down to personal preference and trying to do things as, as safely as possible, right? That's the key. 
Yeah, you know, for us, I think we're going to be spending Thanksgiving just with me and my husband and my daughter, you know, and we've had conversations with family and we've tried to be, you know, really thoughtful about what we're going to do and, you know, over the Christmas holiday season. And that's still an ongoing conversation. And what we're trying to do is just keep that communication going, <laughs> getting a good sense of what people are comfortable with and and making plans for how do we you know, how do we rest? How do we relax if we don't have the grandparents there to do childcare for us? I think we're, we might have to get creative about that. <laughs> Dr. Kathleen Smith, licensed therapist, uh, author of the book, Everything Isn't Terrible. Multiple cities across the U.S. have promised to get tough on people who won't wear face masks in public, promising to issue fines or tickets and not just give warnings. In most cases, the enforcement just is not that tough. California city of Burbank has become the latest to pass a mask ordinance, but this time, will it have teeth? Sergeant Derek Green, public information officer, Burbank PD. So how likely are we to see actual tickets being issued for people who don't wear masks? Well, we're viewing this enforcement initiative uh, as far as issuing citations as a last resort. We really are still going to focus on education. We want voluntary compliance with with the face covering initiative here in Burbank. And the reason for that is, you know, we've been able to allow an expanded outdoor dining experience in downtown Burbank specifically. We've shut down San Fernando to vehicle traffic. And what this allows, it allows for more people to come out, enjoy an evening out of the house safely, have, have dinner with friends, family. All we're asking is for the voluntary compliance with the face covering specifically in that district. Yeah, but, here, but here's the thing, uh, Sergeant. Um, you know, we've talked to lots of different communities, uh, and, you know, they all have, not all, but some of the ones we talk to anyway have different ordinances about wearing masks. And, you know, the, the police always say, well, we don't want to, uh, you know, really give out tickets if we don't have to. What we want to do is educate people. Who really needs to be educated at this point? We're seven months into the pandemic People who don't want to wear masks clearly do not want to wear masks. So what is the point of having even a police officer go up to them and say, you know, you really should be wearing one? It's like, yeah, I, I kind of know that. Yeah, that's a valid point. And, and the same goes for any law, really. Uh, you know, uh, anybody that has a driver's license, you know, they know what the speed limit is. They know what to do at a red light, but it still doesn't mean people aren't going to run the red light. So. You know, we we don't want to issue citations. We don't want to, uh, you know, upset people. We know that this is a contentious issue, um, which is one of the reasons why the city of Burbank has chosen to contract with a third-party company in this in this situation and delegate authority to them. Um, they felt that that would be a a good direction to take as far as mediation. Um, it certainly helps us free up our resources so that the police department can focus on responding to calls for service and obviously, you know, crime prevention in the city. So it's not you guys writing the tickets. It would be someone else, or do they call you to write them? I mean, how do I get fined from some company? Where does their authority come from to write me a fine if it's, you know, Joe's Ticket Writing Service, Inc.? Right. So they're essentially representatives of the city of Burbank, and they've been delegated this authority under the Burbank Municipal Code based on the current state of emergency that we're under related to the pandemic. So they are civilian employees. The majority of these individuals have backgrounds in licensing and code enforcement, um, and they are going to be out uh, pretty much as ambassadors, representatives, if you will, of the city and the police department educating and enforcing the face covering ordinance. Yeah, but, you know, I want to go back to your um, analogy about 
you know, seat belts were going through a red light. And and I wonder if that really holds up because when, you know, if you go through a red light uh, and there's a police officer there, uh, you're probably going to get a ticket. They're not going to educate you about the law. Uh, if you're not wearing a seatbelt and they stop you, they're probably not going to say to you, you know, you really are supposed to wear a seatbelt. You're going to get a ticket for not wearing one because wearing seatbelts and not going through red lives, lights save lives. And wearing masks, we now know scientifically, save lives. So why is it? Why do all the police departments, and I'm, and I'm asking you this uh, not to put you on the spot, but I really am curious, why the sensitivity about uh, sort of dancing around the issue? If it's wrong, if it's a law now, uh, if we know that it's harmful for people not to wear masks, why bother with all the education stuff? Just give them a fine. No, I, I, I get what you're saying. And, you know, police officers in general are taught to operate under the spirit of the law. They obviously have discretion in decision-making, and they don't always have to issue a ticket. They can issue warnings, whatever the case might be. Um, you know, this is a little bit more of a, uh, a touchy subject. It, it's, you know, you have the people that are for the initiative, and you have the people that are certainly against it. They find it unconstitutional. They find it... Uh, um, a, a violation of their civil rights. So it, it's a difficult situation to be in from a law enforcement perspective. I, you know, that's the best way for me to describe it, especially some of the officers who are newer, younger. They haven't been on the job that long. They're, they're put in these situations where they have to mediate and, and determine the best course of action when it comes to telling somebody you need to put a mask over your face. It, it's difficult. Sergeant Derek Green, Public Information Officer, Burbank Police Department. Sergeant, thanks. The U.S. economic conditions are getting dire, more dire by the day. Unemployment's going in the wrong direction. There's no sign we'll get another coronavirus relief package anytime soon. Small towns, municipalities grappling with some extremely hard decisions if Washington doesn't send relief soon. KYW's Matt Leon spoke with David Fiorenza, Associate Professor of Practice at the Villanova School of Business. You know, we keep talking about this second stimulus, and my goodness, I've, I think we've been talking about this since, you know, May and June. And I know for the longest time, we kind of operated under the idea that it was going to come, it was just a matter of when and how much. Well, it hasn't come. They're still kind of talking. But, I mean, even if that's something past now, it's going to take a long time for this money to get distributed. I mean... I guess I just keep coming back. How stunned are you that there hasn't been another CARES Act? I'm stunned. I'm very stunned. I think we've been talking about, like you said, for weeks. It almost seems like years at this point, Matt. And you're right. If something was to be passed this weekend, by the time it goes to the SBA, Small Business Administration, and by the time it gets filtered out, uh, whether it's through unemployment or other kinds of, of means, it's going to take a while. Even if they have to print checks to give people checks in the mail or even doing direct deposit, uh, you're looking at the end of November at this point, which could be okay for people that want to spend money during Christmas time. But uh, I, I think um, – there's a lot going on at the federal government where both sides don't do not want to give in to one little thing because you have places like Broadway that was looking for some buyouts. All the local, what I call independent venues, still haven't reopened uh, in this, all the cities. And that's really hurting the city of Philadelphia. As we all love to go to concerts at the small venues. And it's just hurting everything in general. Uh, people who, who went back to work and maybe they had to get shut down again or their hours are not up to what they were before. So there's a big concern that 
there hasn't been some other stimulus. I think we'll worry about the debt later. That, and you and I have talked about that before. What do you think with a second stimulus? I mean, we're, we're less than three weeks to the election. Uh, let's assume there's not one before Election Day. Could you see a possibility in a lame duck? Or do you think if we don't get it by Election Day, we have to wait for the inauguration and the new Congress and kind mm -hmm. of reset everything, regardless of what direction it goes? Whatever direction it goes, uh, and whoever um, takes over the House, Senate, as well as the, the, the White House, I, I think there will be something happening. There'll be discussions happening between November and January, but something may, may not give until after inauguration, no matter whether we have the current president or a new president in place. The, um, there's so many other things out there that could have been a priority the last couple of years, such as an infrastructure bill. Uh, various things dealing with uh, whether it's crime or whether it's uh, I know they've been working on economic development with the enterprise zones, but some of that has actually stopped a little bit because of COVID. There's been a slowdown in that area, at least some of the small cities that I've visited, such as Coatesville, Camden and, and various um, poor areas of West Philadelphia, let's say some of that has slowed down because of COVID. Want to get away to the Aloha State? Yes. Yeah, during the <laughs> pandemic. United Airlines, they want to help. It has started offering pre-travel coronavirus testing at San Francisco Airport for those looking to travel to Hawaii. Travelers who test negative within 72 hours of flying to the islands will no longer have to quarantine for two weeks upon arrival. There's also drive-through testing, which can be done 72 hours before your flight, but... If you do test positive, you will not be allowed to enter the terminal or to fly. Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. Find us any of those places and be sure to subscribe and uh, stay well.